everyone, welcome to Ideology, a podcast where we seek to explore the ideas and belief systems that give rise to the contours of modern society. Our prayer is that you would be equipped to be a faithful follower of Jesus amid the complexity of our culture. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Ideology. This is Mick and Drew's biggest fan, Fadi Salem, and I'm here with Destiny Gonzalez and Mick Murray because Drew is out this week. Yeah, thanks, Fadi. And again, uh, if you listened last week, we had Destiny and Fadi on then as well because Drew is finishing up his master's and I am uh, or was by the time you listen to this, I was in Mexico for eight days. So we needed to crank out a couple of episodes. And so here we are again. Last week, it was a bit of a departure from our usual kind of flow and format. Talked about spiritual formation, the seven keys of spiritual formation. And the whole idea behind that episode was to be conscious of, aware of the forces that are shaping us. And that has been a pervasive theme in this podcast all the way back to the very first episode, The Water That We're Swimming In. And I think just I wanted to draw on Fadi and Destiny as, uh, what are you guys, millennials, right? Or Gen Z. Gen Z, right, right at the cusp of Gen Z and millennial. Uh, just watching, and not just your generation, but certainly I'm a I'm an older millennial. I think I'm a zennial. I'm born in 82, kind of right at the, right at the crest there between Gen X and millennials. Uh, but really, I think just because of the culture in which we live today, and didn't talk about this last week, but the breakdown of the family and the the invention even of the iPhone, the smartphone, and there are other there are lots of unique forces that are at play today: globalization and this kind of one world culture, and that make following Jesus in our context difficult in different ways. I think than for people in the past, not the most difficult. We don't have it harder than anybody ever, but certainly from kind of a mental ideological standpoint, I think it's unique trying to follow Jesus in our context, in our culture. So that was last week's episode. Recommend you go back and take a listen if you haven't yet. But today we're going to pivot a little bit. And there's some overlapping themes here. I alluded to some of this in last week's episode, but want to break down further. Uh, We did an episode, I don't know, maybe 10 or 12 episodes ago, looking at kind of a side-by-side comparison of the system of belief between the Christian or Judeo-Christian tradition and the secular set of beliefs. And we worked through origins and what it means to be human. And, And again, I alluded to this last week as well. But I want to go uh, even deeper here and look at the some of the underpinnings for the Christian faith. And I think what are some of the meta themes that when we talk about spiritual formation and having a biblical worldview or being biblically formed, there is a uh, an overarching theme or a thread that runs throughout the scriptures that I think uh, informs a lot of the conversation today when we have these conversations around ideas, the ideas that are shaping us, the mental maps that we are laying down. And again, the goal of, I'd say, these two episodes in particular, having Fadi and Destiny on, are to call the church to be formed by Jesus and not the image of goodness that's projected by our culture today. Fadi, you alluded to, you know, there was a a horrific, uh, unspeakable school shooting in Texas, you know, a a few weeks ago now by the time this episode's released. And, you know, just unspeakable. Um, uh, and immediately, and we talked about there are very few things that are pre-political anymore, and immediately there's a political dialogue that rises up, and understandably so, and there needs to be some level of a political dialogue around this. But the notion of goodness that's embedded in these dialogues has origins. It has roots in a deeper system of beliefs. And I think what we're calling the church to do is to be mindful when ascribing to a certain set of ethics or or a certain set of morals 
where are those beliefs embedded and to be thoughtful believers and to, uh, again, to think all the way back to origin stories and to play out then the logical implications of these beliefs, because though it might seem benign to hold a certain set of beliefs, that set of beliefs might come with a package of deeper convictions about the world that begin to influence us if we're not conscious of that. So that's the purpose behind these two episodes. And so today I want to look at the three relationships that God created mankind for. And there is a, an assumption embedded in, even in this episode around the scriptures and that I believe that the scriptures make truth claims. There's an assumption embedded in how I'm reading the Genesis account. And I'm getting a lot of this from the Bible Project, which is another fantastic resource. I love, just love those guys and love their hearts to put out a bunch of free content. If you haven't been exposed to their beta classroom um, offerings, then I would highly recommend checking that out. They have one right. The the first one that you have to do, they force you through, is uh, Intro to the Hebrew Bible, but then it opens up to a whole suite of grad-level classes for free. So if you haven't checked that out, highly recommend that. But I'm um, ripping a bunch of this content from Tim Mackey and company over at the Bible Project. But I want to look at the three relationships that God placed mankind within or created us for. Uh, even before diving in, Destiny, Fadi, what would you anticipate? I can't remember if we've been in groups where we've talked about this before, but what would you anticipate those three relationships to be? We already talked. Yeah, we talked about this. I mean, it's us and God, us and others, and then us and the earth. That's right. 100%. Yeah. And and again, I'm sure we've talked about this in some podcast, but um, it's the man-God relationship, the man-man relationship, and the man-creation relationship. And you go back to the Genesis 1 account, Genesis 1 and 2, and, and in particular, Genesis 1, 26 through 28. And you see mankind created in God's image. And there's so much about the Imago Dei that scholars have unpacked. But one of the implications there is that by mankind being created in the image of God, that we are uniquely situated among all of God's creatures to commune with God, to have relationship with God. We are Trinitarian in our, th- in our theology, uh, in our doctrine, Orthodox doctrine that God is three persons in one, that he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he coexisted in himself from eternity past to eternity future. And our language starts to break down when we start to try to describe the, the Trinity, that how can someone coexist within himself? But he uh, coexisted within himself within a state of perfect harmony, uh, expressing love uh, among himself between the three persons, and that out of this communion, he created mankind. And created mankind communicative, emotive, able to constrain their passions like he does, able to channel our creative energies like he does, rational like he is. And part of the purpose for that was not just to have an image in the earth to glorify him, but part of that purpose was to fellowship with him. And you see this right off the bat. So the God-man relationship is key. What was the second one you mentioned? Us and others. That's right. So, you know, you immediately see, you see Eve taken out of Adam and then brought back together in the first marriage union, but mankind placed in relationship with others. And, and that's a, there's, again, there's so much out there in the scholarly world uh, in this regard, but the fact that God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. And that was before the fall, before the curse. That's an amazing thought. I mean, just think about that should mess with our theology a little bit. That Adam was with God, like in perfect fellowship. And yet God looked at that and said, you're alone. And, and Adam needed somebody like him 
Adam was made in the image of God, but there was still a substantial difference between the two, a, a, a qualitative difference where Adam needed another person to be in community with. And again, just to go back to last week, you're talking about the need for community in our atomized, hyper-individualistic society. And if you're listening to this and you're pulling away from people, I think we would say that's a dangerous place to be. And, and again, there's deep empathy and uh, even deep understanding in many regards. Uh, but we were made for other people. We were made to be interdependent with others. And so Adam is placed in relationship with Eve. That's the first marriage. Then you have all of you know humanity following the biblical narrative that comes from that original couple. And then the third relationship? Us and the earth creation. Yeah, and expound on that, Destiny. What what could that mean? Just take a stab at it. Just stewarding how God has intended for us to steward the environment that we literally live in, or the earth, that it's not just... We live here, we can do whatever we want, but how are we actually supposed to tend to God's creation? I mean, in in Genesis, I think the word that's used in multiple translations is to subdue the earth, which I don't necessarily know exactly what that means, but I'm assuming it's to maintain and to upkeep and to take care of. But that's that's a biblical mandate. Yeah, yeah, we've been warped by sin, so we hear the word subdue or have dominion over, and we think of the 20th century and Pol Pot and Mao and Mussolini and Hitler and... They used coercion and power for personal gain and to subdue the earth. But the the original idea behind subduing, because then we see in Genesis 2 exactly what God meant by subdue the earth, because what was the task that he gave Adam and Eve to do? To be fruitful? Yeah. Uh, yeah, in Genesis 1. But then in Genesis 2, there was a physical like work that he gave them to do. What was that? They literally tended the earth, like they took care of the animals and they... Right? Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. They God placed them in the Garden of Eden to tend it, to take care of it. That's an illustration of what God meant by have dominion over to subdue. If you've ever gardened, we have we have a couple of little raised bed gardens in our backyard. And it's amazing the amount of of subduing it takes. But it's not subduing for personal gain at the expense of the garden. It's attending, it's a tender carefulness, it's a tender watchfulness and stewardship of that garden to bring about what? What what's the purpose of tending a garden? To produce fruit. Right, to bring about fruitfulness. And what else? There might be, um, like we have tomato plants and we have a blackberry plant, but we also have just flowers that don't produce any fruit that we can eat. What? what, Why would we even just grow flowers? I think just to enjoy creation. Like we can literally look at something beautiful and just enjoy it. Right. So beauty, fruitfulness and beauty. The, The idea of God's dominion is to is this idea of stewardship to bring about fruitfulness and beauty. And that's actually a really profound thought. And, you know, before you kind of write this off as like an ecologically, you know, driven kind of tree hugging episode, this can expand out into just every facet of human society. This is not just narrowly focused on stewardship of the physical earth, though it is that includes that. But this this would uh, work its way into all of our various vocations and occupations, which we'll get to. But yes, this idea of this relationship between mankind and the earth, that we're actually put into a meaningful caretaking position of the physical earth in which we live. And God stepped back after all this and said, this is good. This is good. These three relationships, this creation that he had spun into existence, this is good. And I was just listening to the Bema Discipleship Podcast, and he talks about the Judges narrative and this cycle that you see in the book of Judges where Israel would enjoy a measure of freedom, and then they would sin and rebel against God, then they'd be given over to some oppressive nation, then they would cry out to God, and God would deliver them, and then they'd enjoy a measure of freedom and stability, and then they would sin, and it's just this cycle that gets repeated. 
And Marty Solomon was pointing out that the title, if you if you do a Google search for an image search in Google for the judges cycle, all these images pop up and they're almost all called the sin cycle. And he was he pointed out, he's like, why is that? Because the fact that Israel sinned was only one of the six parts of the cycle. And all of them were experienced equal, equally throughout Judges. In fact, what Judges tends to focus on is God's redemption. He's like, why isn't this the redemption cycle? And he said, because in, in the West, uh, and just as people probably more generally, we tend to take a Genesis 3 perspective of the biblical narrative, which is about sin and the curse and the fall, as opposed to a Genesis 1 and 2 perspective of the narrative of God, which is about this goodness, that God loves his creation, that God is has a purpose and a plan for his creation. And then the Revelation 21 and 22 part of the narrative, which is God's redemption, that God, what bookends the scriptures is God's goodness in, in creation and then God's redemption of that creation. And then we are partners to that effect. But we get so myopically focused on the brokenness, on our fallenness, and it becomes a story of sin and judgment. But it was actually never intended to be that way. That's a very narrow understanding of the scriptures, but the broader understanding is this this beauty that's inherent in God's creation of these three relationships and then the redemption, the restoration of these three relationships. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think it's interesting because it's easy to resonate with the Israelites. It's like that cycle is like, I'm free for a little bit and then I go back to sin and then that sin is what's going to like give me to enslavement, to a thought or like an anxiety or whatever it might be that's a consequence or a product to that sin. And then the Lord delivers me because he's faithful. But when I think about the, the that cycle, I mean, it's exactly that. It's like, I, I don't think of it as a redemptive cycle. I think of it as a sin cycle because it that's like what it's marked by. It's like marked by, I mean, all of this is because I've sinned, not because God has a design. Like there's like, I think the, the focal point of what I think about is my mistake and not what God's design is for my life. Um, and when I think about what the Israelites kind of went through, through the book of Judges, I'm like, man, that's me. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's me. Like I go through these cycles and, but I'm more concerned with how to get rid of my sin than to be more focused on God's design for my life that he is like showing that he's invested in getting me back to point A to avoid the cycle, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When you look at Genesis one and two and the state of these relationships, there's a word, a Hebrew word that's used to describe the state of perfection, the wholeness, the rightness, the the stability, the equilibrium. Do you guys know the, the Hebrew word I'm alluding to? I've heard you say it before. I know we've talked about it, but I can't think of it right now. Right. So the shalom is the, the state of perfection and uh, and rightness. It's used as a greeting today. It means peace, but it's so much more than that. It's about this wholeness and this, this state of perfection. So you had these three relationships, the God-man relationship, the man-man relationship, and the man-creation relationship was in this state of equilibrium. And really, like if, if you become a student of the scriptures and then you kind of overlay that over the world, like every movie plot is an, an attempt to recover shalom, right? We're so conscientious. We're so familiar with the sin and the fallenness, but we know that's not our ultimate state. That's not the desired state. And so there's this recovery 
uh, or this desire to recover unity, right? This desire to recover oneness. I was even reading a book last night. It's a fiction book. But one of the prologues to one of the chapters is this character, and he was just talking about this kind of fictional planet. He's like, what if the kingdoms of the earth came together and worked together? What could be possible? Like, what could we create together? And you think of Babylon or, you know, the, the Tower of Babel. But in Christ, in God, and this is um, it's not what the author was saying, but just you see this desire for, like, what if we came together? What if our relationships were unified uh, what if we had uh, a sense of, of real stewardship of the earth to where it was in equilibrium and what would what could be possible? And this is like deeply embedded in the human psyche uh, because what we were made for is what we were created for, shalom. But you see that it's fractured, right? So the, the fall, we're familiar with that. If you're familiar with the biblical story, Adam and Eve's rebellion against God's authority and then passes, that's passed down to all of us. We've all rebelled against God's authority. And what you have then is this fracturing. I just think of like shattered glass. You know, you had this, this state of unity and then literally just a fracturing, a shattering. Now you, all, you have all these fragments now, and we all feel that fragmentation. We feel the atomization of uh, our own fractured relationship with God, the fracturing of relationships with one another, and the fracturing of the relationship uh, with the physical earth in which we live. And I, again, I'm not just talking ecology, but our, our work is toilsome, right? Even if you're a computer programmer, that is a stewardship of the earth that has become toilsome and not just work that's delightful, uh, but there's a measure of difficulty that's embedded in our care of the earth, uh, working towards a flourishing human society that's in equilibrium with the physical earth. And so now we're engaged in this process of redemption. Like that's the work of the church, the work of the people of God now is to repair these three relationships. And this is where I just I wanted to get to today and just give a couple of brief thoughts on is the, is the fact that we are, and I think of Ephesians 1 and Colossians 1 where Paul, he's like, hey, this is what God's been up to. He's like, this is the mystery uh, that's been kept hidden for ages and generations. That's a different scripture. But he he basically says, this is the, the will and intent of God to bring all things, to unify all things in the person of Jesus, whether things in heaven or things on earth, to reconcile all things in Christ. Not just all people, but all things finding their union, their unity in the person of Jesus. And now I'm, I'm sounding preachy and I don't mean to. So what do you hear me say so far? Just after we all chose to rebel against God. I mean, Adam and Eve first, but then it's trickled down from there. Just everything is in disarray. And really the work of the church is that we're trying to fragment everything back together. We're trying to take those fragments and piece it back together or just even get clear understanding again of what was the intention of God for our relationship with him, for our relationship with others, for our stewardship of the earth, the things that are put before us. And now it's like we're trying to get back to that place of piece of the shalom that God actually intended. Yeah, exactly. Fadi, any additional thoughts? Well, I just had a question. So when I think about, I mean, Destiny said like we're, uh, you know, one of the goals as a church, one of the responsibilities is to get back to this place of working and subduing the earth and this complete shalom picture of what it means to do work and to be diligent and stewarding what God has given us. I just can't help but think like, wouldn't it be God's responsibility to restore it? You know, why do we have a part? Why does it seem like it's a responsibility of the church to help get us back to this place of redemption? We're the ones who messed up, but we messed up. I don't know. I just, I can't, I can't help but think like, 
man, I feel like that's my dad's job to come and just fix this because I don't know if we can. Um, and maybe it's the effort or the heart that's the goal, that's like the thing that we're getting to, but I don't know. I think it's not on us to fix it, but more, I think it's going back to what you were talking about and what both of you were talking about with the sin versus redemption cycle and that perspective. I think it's more of an acknowledgement of the redemption that is accessible for us. It's not like, because I think even thinking of it that way, I want to immediately go into, okay, well, isn't that a striving mentality of like, oh, it's on me to fix everything or it's on the church to get it back together and fix everything. And I don't think it's that, but it's more of an acknowledgement of we're actually meant to be redeemed or we're meant to walk out in this place of redemption. I don't know. That's the way I would, I would take it. Rather yeah, than it's a striving. great, I mean, that's a great question and it's a deep theological question. Uh, we're not going to untie all the knots here in this podcast, but it's worth being asked and the responsibility, whose shoulders is it on? And of course, ultimately it's on God's shoulders. This is God's mission. Think of Psalm 4610, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And you see Paul wrestle this, this out. And I'm thinking of one passage in Philippians in particular, Philippians 2, he says in verse 12 and 13, he says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You're like, well, which is it? He's told us to work it out, but it's God who works in us. And I think if we were to ask, which is it? He would say, yes, you know, it's, it is, it's both. Or Jesus, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, in Matthew 28. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Well, he's the one with authority, but he's telling us to go. As he says, well, I will be with you always to the end of the age. And I think there's this partnership he invites us into. He carries the weight, the actual transformation, the actual change happens as a result of his power at work through the church, but he has invited us to partner with him. Uh, and that's not a heavy thing. It's actually a light burden because of the one who carries us, the one who actually does the the heavy lifting. That's, that's a great, I mean, that's a great question. And I think it segues well to a couple of thoughts here on some trends that I observe among the church today that this will tie into some of our conversation last week on spiritual formation. And this is a very, uh, for our academic listeners, for those with master's and PhDs, I just apologize in advance. This is going to be such a, a flyover from a more pastoral perspective and not an academic perspective. There's been a lot of academic work that's done on this. Where Drew's not here to cite seven sources that none of us will ever read. But from my observation and re- reading some on church history, Dr. T- uh, Kim Tan and among others, <clears throat> what I see is that at the Reformation, you had this hyper-emphasis on sola scriptura and, and by faith alone. And it was necessary to, I think, uh, respond to some of the abuses that were rampant in the Roman Catholic Church at the time. But the Protestant Church for the past three, 400 years has been pretty hyper-focused on the reparation of the God-man relationship. And rightfully so, it needs to start there. But I think at times it has come at the expense of any emphasis or focus on the the restoration of the other two relationships. And so the, among the evangelical church today, you have a front and center awareness of the fallenness of man and and a preeminence of the preaching of the gospel, of of salvation. And again, which has to lead. I think the all of the brokenness we see in our world is a is a result of 
ultimately of man's disconnect from God. And we talked about it's the spirit of God at work within us that produces any change. So it has to start there. The problem is often it stops there. And the gospel becomes not a restoration of all three relationships, but just a restoration of the God-man relationship. But we look at the ethic of the New Testament, and what we see in the New Testament is that the restoration of the God-man relationship then is proved out in the restoration of human relationships. You see, a huge percentage of the New Testament is dedicated to describing how human relationships are intended to function and flourish. You have all the one another's of the New Testament describing how the church is to is to function. And that has often been underemphasized among the Protestant church. I would say even more so the restoration of the God or sorry the man creation relationship is often non-existent in Protestant circles. And this is being extremely unfair. I know there are lots of evangelical churches that are deeply committed to God's work in this regard. But I would say as a general whole, you don't hear much in the way of teaching on what does it mean to be a steward of the earth? What does it mean? What, what, how does our work matter in, the, in the, the grand narrative of God's redemptive story? What, what, what does it mean to be a nurse or a, uh, you know, a homeschool mom or a doctor or lawyer or educator or politician? How does that actually fit into the narrative of God's, of, of the restoration of the earth? What does it mean to advocate for a flourishing human society in equilibrium with the, the earth that God has placed us in? And that doesn't find its way often into the kind of the evangelical church narrative. And so, again, I think where this, this fits into our discussion on spiritual formation is we have a lot of people today, Fadi, you made an interesting comment last week that I'd be interested to dig into sometime that at least among your experience with your peers, many are left-leaning uh, when we talk politically. Is that, is that accurate? Is that what you're... Yeah, yeah, I would say that's accurate. And I think that could be for some listeners who come from a kind of an older conservative you know, background, that could be unnerving. But what I see in that is that in the kind of left-leaning world and just to not alienate like half of our listeners, but from a high level in the left-leaning world, and not just political, but I think we've, we've talked some about liberal theology as well, there is often a deep concern for the marginalized, for the poor, for the orphan, the widow, and so on. And, uh, and this is, this is obvious. These are obviously preeminent themes in the scriptures. And so why has this one group of people picked up these concerns? Well, I think part of it is a neglect, a measure of neglect among the Protestant church for, for these cares and concerns. And I know these are incredibly complex, very nuanced topics and themes that I'm bringing up here. But I I don't want to get into the weeds, and I'm not qualified to get in the weeds. This is not my area of expertise. But I I think from a pastoral level, I have observed some believers are are disoriented a little bit, uh, disillusioned with the evangelical church that is rightly focused on uh, redemption between God and man, but then often leaves out or or neglects or underemphasizes how that redemption then gets worked into the dough of society. What does that mean for human relationships? What does that mean for econ- economic inequality? What does that mean for the marginalized and the and the poor and the the oppressed? What does that mean for uh, a flourishing human society? What does that mean for our physical tangible work? What does it mean for the literal care and stewardship of of the earth? 
And I think these are themes that need to be picked up by the church at large in the West. I think there's even an evangelical element to this. I think we've alienated a whole segment of society from uh, scientific thinkers uh, among you know Gen X and boomers to Gen Z and alpha uh, individuals who are deeply concerned for these things that are coming at them every day on social media and are there they are being demand it's being demanded of them to have a viewpoint to have an opinion. Uh, even though often we are deeply under-informed on the actual issues. But it's still, it's front and center. And I think the church in this hour needs to pick up these issues from a biblical perspective to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Honestly, the the biggest thing that I took away from what you just said was how misinformed we are. And I think that, that if that is like fundamentally, we're all like leveling there, we're like, okay, that might be misinformation or you might not completely understand what that is can get us to a place of getting to that shalom of like, I want to be here. I think if that's like a common goal, I think that's what I'm hearing from you. It's like as a church, let's get to that common goal of caring about the shalom, this complete picture of what we should look like. And that starts with knowing that we're all misinformed sometimes and we're or some of us are underinformed, and I don't know. The story at large is like not about you, and it's not about me, but it's about like us together underneath uh, the lordship of Jesus to get us from A to B, which is what we talked about earlier. Was this plan for our lives to this restoration of our lives because of everything in between? Because all of this is junk, you know. But yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm hearing, and that impacts what we do, where we work, how we work. And, Yeah, there's a a scaffolding, I think, that I'm I'm advocating for, this relational paradigm that God placed us in these three relationships with him, but then also with one another and even with the caretaking of the earth that informs, I think, our spiritual formation, that informs our spirituality, that informs the emphasis that the church takes in its work in the world. Uh, Destiny, any any reflections, questions, (laughs) observations? Yeah, I think as we're talking even just going back to the last episode when you asked the question of what are trends that we're seeing and I mentioned just there's this desire for the church to respond to social issues and when that's not happening, people are just kind of leaving or don't know where to go or feel frozen. And I think one thing that we've done as the Western church, we've really just honed, or Protestantism, we've really just honed in on the God man restoration. And that is like where we're supposed to start, but it's just kind of halted there. Like, I think even as we've been talking, I'm now forming thoughts on like, man, what is it actually supposed to look like for me to steward the earth well? And it's not a relationship that I typically even think of, of, oh God, you have specific intention. And this actually was a very important part of what God wanted for us is how do we steward the earth and steward where he's placed us. But I think even as you were talking about, there's this demand for a response and that's, that comes at us every day of what do you think about this? What do you think about this? If I remain silent on social media, that gives off one perception. If that's different than if I do respond and you just kind of can't win, you can either be silent or you can say something and people want an opinion from you. And I think that's an area where the church can grow is how we understand the reparation of the God man relationship. But then how are we actually working? Like how are we getting into the other two relationships? And just the other main thing that I've thought about as we've been talking, it's that man and earth relationship. And it's, I think it's even out of the kindness of God that that's so important because there's an aspect 
of the character of God that we get to see in that. Like he, in the way that he tends to us, his creation, he's giving us the responsibility or really the opportunity to tend the earth and to steward the things in front of us and care for it. And it's like in learning how to do that, I get to see how God cares for me. And it's just another aspect that the Lord wants us to see. And it's just actually really kind and really cool. That's a great perspective, Destiny. And I think where I'd love to land this conversation and end today is is to make a mention that there is there's deep complexity here. And there's a, a distinction that needs to be made between the institutional church and then the church, the the people of God. And it's my belief that the institutional church is not meant to engage every issue in society. And what I mean by institutional church, I'm talking about the church worker. Ephesians 4, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. I believe the churches, the, the, the workers of the church are there to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to cite that chapter. But it is the work of the church, the body of Christ, to engage all of these issues. Uh, it would be unfair and unrealistic to expect your church workers, um, your pastor and the executive pastor and the whomever, to engage issues of immigration and sexuality and gun control and so on and so forth. That would be unrealistic. They are not paid to do so. They are not qualified to do so in most cases. Uh, what they are endeavoring to do is to equip the saints with a biblical worldview and the tools spiritually for uh, people who have those areas of expertise, believers, spirit-filled believers, then this is like Jesus sending out the disciples two by two into the world to be uh, bearers of his message of redemption, to then go into all of these cracks and crevices of society to bring about redemption and restoration. You know, and what's our expectation of this effort here and now? This is an es- that's an eschatological question of what do we expect? You know, do we expect human society to get better and better and better or worse and worse and worse? You know, what should the fruit and the endeavor of the church be before Jesus's return? That's a question for another time. But I think the mission of the mandate is clear to partner with God to bring about restoration, beauty, and fruitfulness in all of these areas. Uh, it's just unrealistic to expect the institution of the church to be the sole vehicle to do that. So uh, with that, that's probably a good place to wrap up. Thank you uh, for tuning in. Thanks, Fadi and Destiny, for filling in. For Drew, big shoes to fill in, uh, in this regard, but deeply appreciate you guys and your perspective. And uh, as always, thanks for tuning in. We'll catch you next week on Ideology. Ideology.